You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. It's about computer stuff. I'm good at computer stuff. You're off my Snapchat. We're sending you off for online dating. Oh, okay. What? Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, just a few platforms that exist now, and chances are you're not on every one of them. Technology and how our children communicate through it is constantly changing. And while my kids are too small to be on most of these platforms, they've already worked out how to get on YouTube. For me, the technology horse has bolted. I was already an adult when Facebook came online. And yes, the internet wasn't a thing when I was growing up. I feel out of my depth, but desperately in need for some education when it comes to how I'm going to manage my children's foray into the world online. With this in mind, we've partnered with the Office of the eSafety Commissioner to bring you a detailed six-part series on what you need to know in order to keep your child safe. This is part one, understanding the difference between our childhood and theirs. Joining us for this chat is Julie Inman-Grant, the eSafety Commissioner and Associate Professor Amanda Third from Digital Social and Cultural Research in the Institute for Culture and Society at Western Sydney University. Ladies, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Amanda, if I can start with you, I just mentioned that I hadn't grown up with Facebook, but I use it now as an adult. How important is it that we understand that childhood has changed since we've become parents. Yeah, look, I think it's very important that we um, that we do think about, you know, just how the world has shifted and transformed in the time that it's taken for us to grow into mature adults and have children of our own. Um, I think, obviously, one of the uh, key things that has transformed in that time is the rise of the digital, and this has played a really large part in reconfiguring the ways that we interact with one another, conduct business, you know, be in the world generally. But also, I think, you know, we don't want to overemphasize, um, you know, the big, scary digital. It's, it is a, an everyday part of life, and, you know, it's, it's, it's I guess, very important for adults to be working um, on building their digital skills and getting a handle on the digital, um, I, I think it's also important for us to think about what we invest in this idea of the child. So the child, for most adults, represents the future. So the child is a figure that we invest with a lot of hope and we, you know, the, the, the child is the figure that will take forward our legacy. But the child also is a figure that um, highlights the differences between the childhood we experienced as adults and the childhood of the now. And, and of course, ch- you know, technology has played a really big role in um, transforming what childhood means, right? And so, and I think when adults come to encounter this, it can be a very disconcerting and, and unnerving thing to realise. You know, it's it's when we see that difference between what it was and what it is, it makes us nervous. And so, I think it's really important to to recognise that, because in recognising that, we can kind of get a hold on it and 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 start to think more productively about how we work with children in a digital world. There's so much in that, but I might take it apart slowly if we can, Julie one of the things that um, I accept that there are so many differences and one of which of course is how they we, we always talk about how we used to play in the backyard I understand that it's different from my kids now I used to play in the reserve I don't even let them play in the backyard if I can't see them but at the same time what I struggle with as a parent is that Facebook comes really natural to, naturally to me now I use it all the time but my children are going to be using it 
as soon as they hit 13 probably and I just wrote letters to my friends when I was 13 and passed notes in class. You know, we didn't have Facebook. Are we the first generation of parents to bring children up this way? You know, the first ones to take them through. I mean, every generation has something new, right? But we're the first ones to do it in this complete digital age, aren't we? Well, I am sensing a little bit of a generational divide in this studio because I did not <laughs> grow up uh, with with Facebook. Um, but I do think to a certain degree, our children are growing up differently. They're, they're wired differently because they're growing up wired to a certain degree. And uh, technology is something that um, engages them more than a doll, perhaps. At least that was my experience with my eldest daughter, Zoe. She was always more interested in playing with my phone. I referred to her as a swiper and a diaper. But I think we need to look at technology now as the digital playground. And the same rules that apply in terms of overseeing your child out there in the reserve should should apply to how you're engaging with your children in their online lives. So that means getting involved with them early and often. If they are swiping that iPad, they need to understand the digital do's and don'ts. And I think we're all guilty of using the iPad as the digital babysitter, but we can't leave them unattended for too long um, or, you know, when they're a teenager in a room alone with their their Kindle or their iPad. And we also have to understand, um, while it shouldn't be scary, all of the abuses that we hear talking about, bullying, child sexual exploitation, exposure to to nudity. These are social issues that we've struggled with from time immemorial, but they're just manifesting themselves a little bit differently on digital. And so we do have to understand that any platform or app that facilitates communication and interaction can facilitate some kind of online abuse. Amanda, talking about the nervousness that parents can feel when they they look at their child and think, oh my goodness, how am I going to manage all of this? I mean, I think my nervousness comes from ignorance because I don't know what to do. Is that a big thing that parents must be afraid of? Yeah, look, I think think it's really, um, it, it is very easy to feel fearful when you're not confident about your own abilities online. And it's also very easy to feel fearful when, you know, the ideas that circulate in our culture are that children are doing all kinds of things that we adults don't know about and actually, you know, actually the evidence shows that children and adults use uh, technology in remarkably similar ways. So if there's something you're doing, it's likely that your child might be doing something very similar, albeit in a very different platform and with different kinds of parameters around it. So I think what's really important for parents is to actually, as Julie says, like sit down, talk early, talk often with their children about what, how and when they're using technology. Those conversations shouldn't always focus on what the children are doing. It's really great for parents to be sharing what they do online because you're modelling good practice for them. Um, and I think just having those conversations helps to create um, what we might call intergenerational understanding, you know, more more um, understanding between children and their parents about how technology is being used and why. I think 
you know, often the focus is on how are children using it? What are they using it to do? And actually the question we often forget to ask is, well, why are you doing that? And what, what do you get out of it? And, 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 you know, what do you like about it? So I think those kinds of conversations are really, really important. Um, they help to close this generational gap. And, you know, some of the work that we've done has actually shown that those kinds of conversations also um, are conversations in which uh, parents learn a lot from their children. You're listening to Kindling Conversation and this is part one of our Safety Net series where we're speaking about all things to do with keeping your child safe online and we're starting at the beginning and talking about why as parents we might feel nervous about what our children are are getting or going into. A lot of us have very young kids now so we might not be so worried about their teenage years but my son, for example, um, would go on my phone. He's only three. And I came in one day and he was watching Russian cartoons. So I thought, well, there's a big hole there somewhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My guests today are Julie Inman-Grant, who's the eSafety Commissioner, and Amanda Third, who is from Western Sydney University. And we're talking about just exactly where we're at and what differences there are between our childhoods and those of our own kids. So, Julia, just mentioned that my son was jumping on my phone and swiping through to YouTube. And part of what surprised me about that, I mean, this is a silly thing to say, but what surprised me about that was my daughter. I'd give her the phone. I'd selected out the right educational apps and games, and she just went there and she stayed there. And then my son takes it. He's two years younger than her. And straight away, he's on YouTube searching for God knows what. Um, is part of that problem that we have as parents is understanding just like anything else, our kids will respond differently to technology. Absolutely. And the reason companies make these um, interfaces so intuitive, it is amazing to watch your kids navigate at that young age. I still marvel at what my um, five-year-old daughter can do on Minecraft. I I have no idea what she's doing. Um, And that's okay because the conversation doesn't have to be about technological capability. What we may lack in learning how to swipe or understand how Snapchat works, we have the judgment, experience, and maturity. And what we want to build in our children is resilience. There are a couple things with that scenario that I would recommend to a parent. One is we've got an iParent portal on esafety.gov.au, and that will help guide you in terms of the kinds of conversations you want to have. But a basic set of parental controls, um, either at the device level, on the desktop level, um, up the stack, as they say, would be recommended. There are also um, apps that are built for kids um, and even things like um, YouTube for kids um, that is more of a walled garden, so they're not likely to come across um, questionable or inappropriate content. But again, I go back to the fact that being engaged and talking with their kids about what they're experiencing and what they're seeing and what they're enjoying is really what's most important. We don't want parents to have a set-and-forget mentality. You know, if you just leave your kids um, with a with an iPad for, for two hours without, even with filters on, none of them are impenetrable and they can be circumvented. Um, what we want to build is that resilience and we want to let them know early on we are going to be engaged in their online lives. So when they are 11 and 12 and want to get on Instagram because their friends are there... You can say, hey, I told you 13, 13 is the age that the, um, the, the social media sites let you on. And there's a reason for that. Because 
kids up until that age probably just aren't equipped to deal with the onslaught of potential bullying, image-based abuse, and all the other types of things that we're seeing. So there's there's a region, reason for those age limitations. When you, Julie, were speaking about you don't want parents to just sit and leave them there. Amanda, when Julie was just talking about, you know, we don't want parents just to give their iPad, iPhone, let the kid play in the corner. What that made me think about was in some ways I feel like we've kind of, as parents, we're sleepwalking into, I mean, it's been the digital age forever, but we've been sleepwalking in the sense that we use things a certain way iPhones are ubiquitous now. We all walk around, people walk around looking at their phones and nobody stops to say, actually, in a really normal, practical world, it does not make sense to walk across a road looking at your phone. So why is it that so many people feel that's the most natural thing? And I wonder if parents have also, in a way, we've been sleepwalking a little bit in the sense that we do just give our phones to our kids. You know, I I actually didn't know my son had my phone when I found him on my bed playing with it. But I don't think I would have, you know, in certain instances, I'll say, okay, you, you can play it. But it might be while he's in the back seat and I'm driving the car. And I'm certainly not watching that. Is that a part of human nature that we've kind of just not even stopped and said, let's start from the beginning what are the most normal human rules we should be putting in place here? Yeah, look, I think I think it's a really great question. And I think, you know, I, th- I think a lot of parents, it has to be said, are really doing a great job. And I think, you know, there there is a moment where a parent should kind of stop and congratulate themselves for what they are doing. Um, I think often parents are browbeaten um, a lot about, <laughs> yes, about their true. children's um, digital practices. But I also do think that, you know, we, yeah, I mean... We, as technology infiltrates our everyday lives, um, it does. It just insinuates itself slowly, slowly, and soon. You know, before long, we find that we're using new apps or new platforms to do all sorts of different things that we used to do in other ways. So it does have this kind of creep into our lives, and so what that means is that we actually need to take the time to pause, reflect on where we're up to, what we're doing, why collectively as a family we're using technology in these kinds of ways, what our ground rules are, you know, and and have conscious conversations as a family about that because the more that you can negotiate uh, together with your children how technology will play a role in your life, the more meaningful technology, the more meaningful role uh, technology can play in that life. Yeah, I think I think it's really uh, important that you know we're we're doing this consciously because one one thing we do know from the research is that when it comes to protecting your child, certainly abstinence is is not going to work. We need you need to be introducing your child gradually to technology, negotiating with them how they're going to use it and talking to them about safety and so on. But you also need to be talking with them about how they can use technology to improve um, their lives or do things they haven't been, you know, haven't tried before, you know, because technology offers children a very expansive range of opportunities and provided children are doing that in a kind of protected and well-guided way, um, you know, it's got a lot to offer. Julie, we were speaking before about talking to kids about technology starting young. What age do we start talking to our kids about this stuff? Well, if you're giving a child a phone or iPad, that's when you need to start talking about the digital do's and don'ts, I would argue, um, or at least engage with them around what, what, they're, what they're doing. 
there are going to be different age-appropriate um, conversations. And um, Amanda and I were just part of a meeting with the Online Safety Consultative Working Group, which is a group of experts across industry, government, law enforcement. Um, and we were talking about um, what do we do as a society around um, limiting access and protecting young people from harmful pornography. And talking about how things are different, um, when I was growing up and I knew where my dad hid his penthouse, the types of pornography that kids can come across um, incidentally or be shown by other kids is much more extreme. And so we've got, there's the access there, it's pervasive, but it's it's gratuitous, um, it can be degrading, it can be violent. And we don't want this shaping our child's conceptions about um, sexuality. But there is no silver bullet solution. There really is no technological protection that um, is going to work. Um, and as we are discussing, the birds and the bees discussion is already difficult, and you have to you'd have to deliver it with a technical manual. But if parents aren't aware of the types of um, content that that's out there, it's had it's hard to have those conversations. They can be very technical conversations about trying to build resilience in your kids. But we have worked with Dr. Justin Colson, and we've put some resources on the eSafety.gov.au website that will help parents script a conversation if their child has come across pornography incidentally, um, when they're a conversation for when they're eight, when they're eight to 12, and then when they're teenagers, because these are very different um, conversations. So we're doing what we can to consult with the experts like Justin and Amanda, uh, because they're there does need to be um, a different kind of guidebook today. I would just add to that, just to underline uh, Julie's point, that, you know, there are all sorts of technical um, solutions that you can apply to ensure that your children are, you know, that their access to um, violent or, um, you know, inappropriate, age-inappropriate content is uh, is minimised. But the best filtering tool is the, uh, is, the, is, the, is the kind of filtering tools that reside in children's heads. So our key role as parents is really to build those tools. Uh, that's where our emphasis should lie. Yeah, the brain is a pretty good filter, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If it's shaped the right way. So before you go, I mean, when I look at this topic, I keep going back to the Buddhist ideal of beginner's mind. So they always say, Buddhists say, you've got to approach everything as if it's new and you've never learned it before. Um, would you say that's a good way for parents to approach technology, Amanda? I think that's a really lovely mentality to approach this question with. I think the, you know, one of the one of the beautiful things about having children in our lives is, as, as we all know, is that they teach us to see the world a different way. And um, and I think, you know, it's no different when it comes to the digital. They um, they can teach us to see technology in a in a really beautiful, expansive, and opportunity filled kind of way, and and a way that's full of fun and joy as well. Um, so I do think we need to kind of go back to those principles and, and be open-minded about the role that technology can play in our children's lives, whilst, of course, being very mindful of the things that we need to do as parents to protect our children from, from risks online. I would say two things. Um, one, it's not just the conversations you're having. It's the behavior that you're modeling for your kids. So you can't talk to them about um, restrictions on the iPad when you're scrolling through your Twitter feed at the dinner table, right? Um, the other thing is to have an interactive conversation, to ask them what they're engaging in. 
When I first heard um, that there were particular um, challenges with Musical.ly, uh, specifically the chat function, and uh, I knew that my daughter was on the platform, rather than sort of panicking and saying, you know, get off the platform, I said, so who are your friends and how do you make them? And she's like, Mom, I have my privacy filters on, of course, and they're only people in my class. And so sometimes you'll be surprised with how au fait they are with technology and um, privacy and protective set- settings. So to a certain degree, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt, and we can learn from them too. That's a beautiful place to end it on. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. Thank Our you. Pleasure. That's Julie Inman-Grant. She's the eSafety Commissioner and Associate Professor Amanda Third. She's from the Digital, Social and Cultural Research in the Institute for Culture and Society at Western Sydney University. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.